This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Today we are starting a brand new series called Friending. So we started the new year going into January. We entered into a season, uh, we called it 21 Days of Prayer. And for three weeks, we prayed over three different directions. The direction up, praying that we would give up, that we would give up to a good life-changing, life-giving relationship with a God that loves us and cares for us. And we spent a week praying that we would give in, that we would give in to God's plan to have meaningful and impactful relationships, that we would live in community the way that God has designed us to. Then we prayed in another week that we would give out, that we would be the kind of people that live outwardly to seek that those that are lost, that those who are broken around us, that we could reach them and love them and by God's grace and mercy see them changed. You know, the series that we just left uh, knew you is really about looking at that upward relationship, saying, God, you offer us newness, and so we want to be the kind of people that accept that gift, walk in that gift, and this series that we're about to step into is really about giving in to God's plan for relationships, giving in to friendship as God designed it. And here's why it's so important. This really may be the most important series we do all year long. Because if you get your friends right, if you get your friends right, it is remarkable what happens in life. It's remarkable when we get our friends, when we have the right thing going with our friends, but when we get friends wrong, when we get friendship wrong, when we misunderstand God's plan for relationship, it has devastating effects in our lives. This really may be the most important series we'll do all year long. We're getting ready to step into it. Here's one thing that I told you last week as we were previewing this series. I just want to bring it up and tell you again. That if you would show me your friends, I'll show you your future. This is why friendship is so important. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you let me get inside your world and understand who your friends are and what their lives look like, I will be able to point you in the direction that right now your life is going. One of the saddest things I've ever heard, and I've heard it time and time again, is that when people sit down in my office to talk about something that is significantly wrong in their life, most often the story starts like this. Well, I had these friends. I had these friends. And that is a sad story. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The wisest man in the whole world, 
that has ever lived was King Solomon. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs 13, 20. Centuries ago, King Solomon said this, walk with the wise and become what? Become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. You show me your friends, I will show you your future. If you want a better marriage, if you want a better relationship with your spouse, are you hanging out with people that have a better relationship, that have a good relationship with their spouse? Walk with the wise and you will become wise. Are you struggling with handling your money, being a good steward of the finances that God has given you? Well, are you spending time, are you developing friendships with people that are good at taking care of their money? Walk with the wise and you will become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You know, when I was prepping for this message and just reflecting over my life, most of the good things that have happened in my life are the direct result of God using a friend in my life. Most of the good things that have happened to me were the direct result of God using a friend that cared enough about me to step in and say, no, Kevin, don't do that. There's another way. That cared enough to come in and to show me a different way. Most of the good things that have happened in my life were the direct result of God using a friend. But I would also tell you that if you went back a couple decades, some of the greatest trouble that I've ever been in. Some of those moments that you just look back and go, what were you thinking? How did you really, they happened with a friend too. You see, friendship and friends are going to lead us to the greatest things and if we get it wrong, it has the potential to lead us to the worst things. I want to ask you to do something. It's in your notes right now. I want you to create a list for me. All right? Your five closest friends. And listen to me before you start writing down names. Here's who can't be on there. Your spouse cannot be on that list. Nobody in your family that's blood relative can be on that list. They have to be your friend. Your spouse is supposed to be your friend. Your dog cannot be on the list. And your invisible friend from the third grade cannot be on the list. Go ahead, write down your five closest friends right now. Right now, I want you to do this. Take a few moments. Five closest friends, not your spouse, not family, not your dog. No invisible friends at all allowed in our list. Five closest friends friends. And while you're thinking about that, while you're writing down, I want to tell you something that sociologists have been saying for years. Sociologists say that we are the average of our five closest friends. We are the average of our five closest friends. Take the financial earnings of your five closest friends, average them out, 
typically were right there. Take out, what does their life look like? Do they have good marriages? Do they have struggling marriages? Take the average, that's where we're at. Chances are, if you're the guy that's here today, you got high last night. Somebody's giggling, but they're, I mean, just, hey, you know, if that happened, chances are, if I look at your list of five friends, right, two or three of them were high last night, too. See, you are the average of your five closest friends. Here's a question I want you to really process. Do you want to be? Do you want to be the average of those people? Is that really what you want in life? I mean, when you step back and look, these are my five closest friends, and every single one of them right now is struggling in their marriage. Is that what you want? If you step back and look, every single one of them is in debt up to their eyeballs. Is that really what you want? You are the average of your five closest friends. So as we get started, it's going to be important to just kind of create a definition, a working definition for us of what friendship really looks like. All right? So let's go to the Bible to do that. Proverbs 17, 17, out of the FBV, out of the FBV, Proverbs 17, 17. Here we go. Read along with me. A friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your post to make you feel good about yourself. Proverbs 17, 17, out of the Facebook version of the Bible. How many of y'all recognize that's not a version of the Bible, right? But it's tough. It's tough to not admit that Facebook is having an impact on the way we think about friends, isn't it? Let's look at Proverbs 17, 17, out of the real Bible here. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Think about that friend, A friend loves at all times, not just when you're pretty, not just when you're lovable. A friend loves you when you are a hot mess, when your life is all jacked up, when everything about you is so totally jacked up. They still love you. They still look at you and, I love you. You're a mess right now, but I love you anyway. That in moments... Where we're on the mountaintop, a friend can go, man, I'm so proud of you. And when we're in the valley, they come and they put our arms around us and they tell us it's going to be okay. A brother is born for times of adversity that, that good friends, when the going gets tough, they somehow they show up there. They show up there and they, they hold our hands and they, they push us and pull us a little bit further along. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for times of adversity. Let me me ask you, if you had five or six of those friends, 
Five or six of those kinds of friends right now, lifelong friends, people who are going to stick by you, walk through life with you, would that change your life right now? For most of us, the reality is that it would. The reality is that it would because when I asked you to write down five of your closest friends, not your spouse, not family, not your dog. Sociologists, people who study relationships have been doing that exercise for years. It's not new. It's actually a part of an ongoing research assessment of relationships in America. And right now, recently published, they show that the average American, when given that task, can only write down two names. Only two names. There's only two people that I would say, not my spouse, not my family, that I would say they're close friends. You know what's sad? 25 years ago, that same exercise, when people were given that same exercise, they wrote down six names. In 25 years, the amount has been cut into a third. The average person identifying close friends. The amount has been cut into a third. Think about how devastating that is to a life. I mean, we are living in a culture that is in crisis when it comes to friendship. I mean, an absolute, complete crisis. Let me give you a few reasons why I think that friendship is declining. There are a lot of them, okay, but I'm just going to narrow it down to three very important ones that have changed over the last 25 years. One is the increasing work hours that most of us are experiencing. In the average business today, the salary employee that at one time worked 40 hours a week now works 50 hours a week to get the same job done. They're skipping lunch, staying 30 minutes early, getting, or getting 30 minutes early, staying 30 minutes late. That's 10 hours a week. All right, there's some jobs, some very high-pressure jobs where it's not 10 hours. It's 20, 25 more. We're working 60, 65 hours a week. Increasing work hours. And what happens at the end of a work day that we've worked like that? When we come home, we are zapped and drained and tired. We don't have time or energy to devote to someone else. Increasing work hours. Number two, the rising divorce rate. A rising divorce rate over the last 20, 25 years. We know for a fact that divorces in our culture, the rate and percentages have gradually, gradually increased. And here's one devastating thing about divorce. I mean, we understand that you're going to get the house, I'm going to get the car, you're going to get this amount of money, I'm going to get this amount of money. You get this kid, I get this kid, or you get the kids and I get them on the weekend. But you know what happens also in divorces? You get this friend, I get this friend. You get this friend, I get this friend. Divorce has a very 
significant impact on friendships. And three, it's the explosion of social media. The explosion of social media. Now, how many of you would just go ahead and say, hey, as a church, I'm proud of the fact that we leverage technology to share the gospel. Isn't that awesome? That we're going to use every means that is possible to get the word out about our church, to invite people, to promote the things that God is doing here. We're going to do that, right? That's great. But you have to be blind to not see that Facebook is having a dramatic impact on the way we think about friendship. It, let, me, let me just give you an illustration, all right? How many of you, 15 years ago, would have ever walked into a coffee shop and thought, I'm going to call every friend I have and tell them, I'm about to get a mocha latte. I'm about, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell, hey, Jimmy, guess what? I'm about to give me a mocha. But I'm going to tell, hey, hey, Ed, I'm about to get a mocha. Hey, we wouldn't do that. It doesn't make any sense. But you want to know what I see all the time? This picture right here. Look at this picture. It's from Instagram. All the time. Hey, look, I got Starbucks, everybody. Look, look at what happened. And we'll take pictures of our breakfast, our oatmeal, Right? Look at this banana and how beautifully chopped it is. Everybody wants to see that, right? They don't really care. You know, we didn't call our friends and tell them that we were getting coffee because, I mean, really we've built a culture now of sharing things that we never would have shared before. You know what's odd, too, is that people will get on Facebook and say the stupidest things. They'll argue with you about stuff they would never argue with you in person about. They will. Because Facebook is changing. You know, the thing is, is that sociologists are studying this. They say that as the culture is emerging around social media, people are starting to be more concerned about their online image than their actual character. They're, they're becoming more concerned about what people think about them online rather than the relationship that they have face-to-face -face with someone. It's probably not more evident than an Instagram, which is a photo-sharing social media network. And if you look at a middle school, a freshman, a sophomore in high school, look at their Instagram. Look at their Instagram feed, because here's what you're going to see. 95% of the pictures are going to be of them. All their pictures, they're not going to be of their food. They're not going to be of what I'm about to do. It's not of the pretty sky. It's pictures all day long of them. Here's me and my scarf. And they have these little outfit of the day tags. Outfit of the day. Right? Funny quote. Right? All day long. It's just pictures of them. And you want to know what's sad about it? You want to know what's I mean, broken and sad is that those girls are measuring their value by the number of likes they get. 
They're gauging whether they're attractive or valuable simply by the number of likes that a picture gets. And it is broken and messed up. Social media is changing the way that we think about friendship. As a principle, I love it. I I think it's awesome. It's a way for me to be involved with people and and to stay connected with people that I only get to see and talk to every once in a while, which is great for me. If you follow me on on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, those are the ones that I I really kind of focus on. If you you're going to see the things that matter to me. I mean, you're going to see pictures of my kids, right? You're going to hear me talk about my family, and you're going to hear me talk about my church, and you're really going to hear me talk about Jesus. Right? I, I love that part of it. But you know, Facebook was meant to be a supplement for relationships, not a replacement of them. It was meant, social media is meant to supplement or should be used to supplement, not replace real relationships. So let me tell you where we're going in this series for the next few weeks, okay? I'm going to give you a roadmap so you know what the next few weeks are going to look like. Next week, I'm going to share a message with you called One Friend Away. One friend away. It's really built around the idea that you are, I am, we are one friend away from taking the next step towards our destiny where God has called us. And we're going to go back and look at the life of David. And I'm going to show you from the scriptures the kinds of friends that God wants us to have. All right, we're going to step back and look into the scriptures and ask God to elevate and show us the kind of friends that we need to have in our lives. Week three, I'm going to call that one community away. One community away because we have bought into this idea of independence and God did not create us to be independent. He created created us to be dependent on him and on his people that we could fulfill the calling that he has for us, that we could be whole. And so we're going to look at the one community away in week three. Week four, calling it unfriending. Because there's some people that we need to unfriend. And I know that you guys would say, hey, I mean, aren't we supposed to love everybody? I mean, can't. And in that message, I'm going to show you the healthy boundaries that Jesus would have us to put up so that we can love people, but sometimes love them from a distance. And we can draw the healthy boundaries that will protect our friendships in a good way. But today, what I would like to do with the time that we have remaining is I would like to look simply at being a friend. What does it really mean to be a friend? Let's together today rediscover, and I'm going to give you two principles to rediscover the lost art of friendship. Two principles. Two things that I think we have totally walked away from, totally forgotten. But they are essential to being a good friend. The first thing that I would tell you is that to be a good friend, you have to be present. You have to be present. You have to be in the moment right now. Let's think about Jesus when he was calling his disciples. What did he say? Come and follow me. The God of the universe that knows everything, that created everything, did not say, 
Here is an illustrated manual. Has pictures for you because you're not smart enough to read all the words. Would you please take it? Look at it. I'm going to come back tomorrow and quiz you. He didn't say that. He said, come follow me. Come spend time with me. Come be present with me as we walk through the world. As you see me encounter different circumstances, different things, you're going to notice something. You're going to see things in me. I'm going to teach you, but I'm going to teach you by being present with you. Come and follow me. You know, one of the articles that I came around when I was studying for this message talked about parents and kids and the use of technology in the home. And this is an interesting thing, so parents key into this. That in the survey that was conducted, the researchers found that the kids were more dissatisfied. Kids were more dissatisfied with their parents' use of technology than parents were with the kids' use. You want to know why? Because your kid comes in with the 100th picture that they've drawn that day. And they want to show it to you. But you are ready to change the world by publishing a new recipe on Pinterest. Right? It's going to change somebody's life. Apple strudel. Homemade. Mommy, can you look? Hold on, hold on. Somebody just commented on my picture on Facebook. Hold on. They want your attention. It's not saying that parents use it more than kids, but... You know, have you ever been out to eat and you've looked over and there's a family of four with some middle school, high school kids and everybody's sitting there on their phones? You ever seen that? That's not being present. All right? That's being, let's look at what the Bible says in Hebrews 10. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us motivate one another towards active love. When's the last time you got around somebody and they started dreaming with you? Here's, this is, you know, I really want to make a difference in this world. This is what we could do together. You know, that word that's used and translated, let's not neglect meeting together. That's only used two times in the Greek New Testament. The word meeting together literally means to meet together with a spiritual purpose. Let us not neglect meeting together. Let's not neglect getting together. Let's not get, neglect getting face to face and being present and encouraging one another to do something that is good. Let's be present. I think maybe the greatest lesson that I've ever learned in this came right after we moved in, the, in February of 2012. It was literally the weekend that we moved from South Carolina up here. I got a phone call. It was my friend Jason. Jason comes up and plays drums sometimes. And as I had been on staff at a church down there, Jason started playing drums. His family started coming to church. They all ended up giving their lives to Jesus. And I met his whole family. And his wife called me 
and their son, who was in his 20s, had committed suicide. It was accidental. He was intoxicated and lost control of himself, blacked out. And the situation that he had put himself in ended up killing him. And here is this 20-year-old man and a mom that just really met Jesus a few months before, and she was devastated. And I'm a young pastor, and I'm not, I've, this is a really significant thing to walk into. I had no idea what I was going to say. And when I showed up at their door, she greeted me and hugged me and just held me for a few moments and then said, I want you to come in. I just want to talk to you for a little bit. I came in and I sat down on their couch and for about an hour, she just talked to me and showed me pictures of him. When he was a three-year-old, a four-year-old, she brought out artifacts back from elementary school, showed me stuff that he had drawn in kindergarten. After I got home, after the funeral and all of that, she called me and she said, you know, I just want you to know that it meant a lot that you would take time and just sit there with me and let me tell you about my son. It's a powerful thing to have somebody that's willing to be present with you. You know, I mean, I struggle with that personally because I'm so focused on what we can learn from the past and where we're going that I often struggle to be right here. But I've been blessed to have friends that weren't that way. One time I was on staff at a church and it was just one of those seasons ministry was tough. I mean, it was kind of one of those times when your pastor hates you, the people you're working with hate you, everybody around you, you feel like everybody hates you. It's just one of those seasons. And my friend Shane, my friend Shane that came up here and spoke that we've supported, Shane kind of got word of what was going on. And on my day off, he called me. He's like, I don't want you to be alone today. I'm going to come pick you up. And a few minutes later, showed up at my door. And Shane took me to a fun park. And he, there was nobody there. It was literally me and him in the whole fun park. It was like a weekday, you know, during the winter. Nobody goes to a fun park. And, he, and Shane said, we're going to stay here until they kick us off these go-karts for wrecking them too much. And after about 45 minutes, they finally got tired of us wrecking us go-karts. And he took me out to lunch. He spent the whole day with me. Because he wanted to be present with me. That's a friend. That's a friend. The second thing that I would tell you is that we need to get open. We need to get open. That we need to be willing to be transparent and vulnerable. You know what's odd is that we can half open up on Facebook. We can tell the world that we're having a bad day. We can confess that I'm struggling right now. I'm feeling a little sick, down, tired, depressed. We can throw that out there and get a bunch of likes and comments on Facebook, but when it comes to -to face-to-face stuff, We struggle with that. You know what sociologists are saying right now? It's one of the fastest growing phobias in the country. Y'all going to laugh at this. It's answering your phone. Talking on the telephone is one of the fastest growing. And you know why? Because what happens when I call you on the phone? You don't answer it. You just let it go to voicemail. And then you send me a text message. Hey, man, I'm busy. What's up? Because if it's a conversation you don't want to have, 
You could just ignore it. I don't know. I'll answer him tomorrow. And they say that the feeling and the sense of control that we have over the direction of a conversation when we're texting is so much higher than when we're on the phone actually talking to someone that they're finding that, especially in our culture, more and more people are scared of having phone conversation. One of the funny things about that, that article is they said people no longer really even know how to like end or shut down a phone conversation. They don't know. All right, it's just this awkward silence. All right, I'm done. Are you done? Can we hang up the phone now? And we're not even learning how to interact with people. Let's look at what the Bible says in James 5. James 5 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. What's the Bible tell us? Who does the Bible tell us to confess our sins to there? Each other. I mean, obviously... It's a healthy part of our relationship with God is that we confess and we repent. But with a friend, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to confess our sins to each other. And what's going to happen when we do that? The Bible says we're going to be healed. If we're willing to be vulnerable, there's something about opening up to a friend there's something about letting our weaknesses be known. And listen to me, I want to tell you this. I want everybody to listen to this. That other people might be impressed by your strengths, but they will connect with you because of your weaknesses. People might be impressed with you because of your strengths, but they will connect with you because of your weaknesses. And if we become so obsessed with being the perfect person, being that online perfect person, that we're never willing to open up and be vulnerable, we're going to miss out on a great deal of what the Bible has promised. I love a story that was told by one of our network pastors. Uh, one of the ARC Network pastors told, told me this story. It's just profound. He was in a series where he was teaching on um, temptation and actually had flown out that week, was flying back in. And in the airport terminal bathroom, he went in and had to use the bathroom because pastors have to use the bathroom sometimes. Not a whole lot, but just occasionally. We're not completely super like that. So he went into the bathroom and on the ground right next to the stall that he was about to use was a Playboy lingerie magazine. And he said, you know, I wanted to tell everybody that weekend that I was just like, that is not for me. He's like, but I felt like a seventh grade boy. I was like, oh, look at that. Look at that thing. And he said, you know, I finally kind of got myself together and I got out and went to a different bathroom. I just had to get away from it. He said he shared that that week. He was teaching on vulnerability and being honest and, and temptation and dealing with temptation. He shared that story. And that night, there was a small group that met, and it was a young group, a, a, a small um, gathering of, of young college-age students. And there was a girl who was a brand-new Christian, first time visiting, sitting in the back watching everything. And one of the guys in the group stood up and said, hey, if pastor can be vulnerable like that, I'm going to be too. Uh, I struggle with looking at those kind of magazines, always have. It just wrecks my life. 
I've, I, I can't turn off the images. I can't step away from them. Uh, I just feel a compulsive need to do that. And that group in a moment of kindness and care started praying for him. All the young women gathered around him and prayed over him that God would heal him of that. And this girl watching in the back said, I thought when he shared that, they were all going to kill him. Because that's what Christians do. That's the way they behave. If you show them where you're vulnerable, they attack. And after all the prayer was done, she stood up and said, hey, you know what? I'm a stripper. I have a small son. It's the only way I know to make enough money to take care of my son and pay the bills. I don't have an education. I don't have any qualifications to do anything else. But I hate it. It makes me sick. And uh, one of the guys in that small group stood up and said, if you hate it and you want to quit, I'll help you. I'll pay some of your bills. Another guy, another girl stood up and before long they had all committed that if she was willing to quit, they'd pay. They'd pay her bills until she found another job. So the next morning she drove in, quit her job. Literally a week later, they helped her find a job. Now she runs a ministry in that church helping rescue girls out of the same industry that she was involved in. How'd that happen? It happened because somebody was willing to be vulnerable. Somebody was willing to be honest about who they are and what they're struggling with. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your, your future. And some of you, uh, when, when it came time to write down your list of friends, you literally were thinking, I don't know anybody. There's nobody to put on this list for me. And I would tell you right now that that is not God's design for you. You see, friendships and relationships in our life will happen by default. All right, we just let it grow and do something. Or it will happen because we live out God's design. So do you have the right friends right now? Do you have the right friends? And some of you are saying no, but some of you are saying yes, but you're not able to answer this question. Do you have the right time for those friends? Do you have the right time? Do you have the right amount of time to give them to have a good, healthy relationship with that friend? Let's pray. God, we believe that friendship is epic in its importance for us. We believe that you have called us, that you want to change us, that God, that if you're going to use us, it's going to be in the context of relationships. And many of us today maybe would say that we don't have the right friends, that we don't have the right amount of time for our friends. But maybe before you today, God, we could commit to be the kind of friend that you would have us to be. 
that we would choose to be present, that we would choose to get open, to develop good, healthy relationships because, God, you want to use them. So I'm going to ask everybody right now, if as we've talked about friends, you all of a sudden feel a little bit empty because you realize that your life isn't fulfilling the full plan that God has for friendships. I'm going to ask you, are you willing to be the kind of friend that God wants to use in somebody's life? Are you willing to be the kind of friend that will be open, that will be vulnerable, that will be present and available? If you're willing to do that today, raise your hand right now. Now, I'm going to say that again because apparently some of us just didn't get it. There is not anything that's more important. Are you willing to be present? To be in the, to love someone in all seasons and to get open? If that's you, are you, would you raise your hand right now? Now, as we've talked about this, there's been some of you that are thinking, man, I don't, I don't even know that I can understand this. Because the Bible tells us ultimately that God's plan is that we would become his friends. In the Gospel of John, Jesus calls his followers the friends. He says, you're my friends. You're not servants. You're friends. And right now, many of us in this room, when we look at our five friends, the question that we need to really be asking about them is, are they pursuing God? Are your friends the people that are going after God himself? Because your friends will show you your future. And maybe today, some of us need to make the best friend we've ever made, and that's a friendship that is a lifelong friendship with Jesus. Maybe today when we talk about a relationship with Jesus, you just think that's so far away from you. But Jesus is offering you his friendship right now. If you're in that place where you want to accept that friendship and you want to start a new relationship with Jesus, would you raise your hand right now if that's you? So God, for those that are here, want to begin a relationship with you. God, we just ask that you would shield them, protect them, and grow them. God, for the rest of us that are here, we just come before you and humbly ask, God, that you would take our lives and use them in a powerful, powerful way, that we would be present and open, that we would be the kind of friend that you could use. Because maybe somebody else is one friend away and you want to use us to be that person. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray.